Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, we're going to somewhat begin where we left off last week. Genesis 3, last week we looked at Genesis 3, 15 primarily and talked about the fall of man and, and the fact that the promise made by God that one would come who would crush the head of Satan was the promise kept by God and we talked about the faithfulness of our Lord. Today we will continue on from Genesis 3. Before we do, let's pray together. Oh God, we come to you in this moment to study and to hear from your word. God, we ask your blessing on this time. We pray that God, you would speak powerfully to our hearts and minds through the truth of your word. God, show us your faithfulness. And God, fill us the joy that is in Christ and in Christ alone, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, you'll remember if you just want to start in Genesis 3, and we're going to kind of flip through Scripture, and I'm just going to warn you, we're going to do a, maybe a little different this morning. We're going to take an approach and just kind of walk through a large portion of Scripture today to show you how we see God keeping His promise that He'll make to Abraham. Before then, though, if you... Think about Genesis 3, we, we looked at last week how man rebelled against God. He sinned against God, and, and that sin, that rebellion, had resounding consequences to all of mankind as, as man then inherited the sin nature that Adam brought into the world. Romans 5.12, Paul said, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. These repercussions, the, the ripple effect of Adam and Eve's rebellion doesn't take long to see as you flip over to, to Genesis 4. In Genesis 4, you see Cain murdering his brother Abel out of great anger. As we progress into Genesis 5, down through 6, verse 8, the generations of man, we are told, become increasingly wicked. In Genesis 6, 5, and then verse 11 and 12, listen to the description of of mankind. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In verse 11 and 12 of chapter 6, we read, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. We continue to read from Genesis 6, and, and we see in chapter 6 all the way down through chapter 10 that God justly punishes the sinful wickedness of man by bringing the great flood. But in the midst of his just punishment, he also shows righteous mercy, and he shows mercy in sparing Noah and his family and preserving the created order. But if you flip on over into Genesis 11... We see then, as, as the people continue to repopulate, to flourish, we see the people coming together, and they seek to build a great tower that would reach to the heavens. And we're told in Genesis 11 that the reason for this tower, the reason they wanted to build this, is why? To make a name for themselves, to make their name great, the Scriptures say. 
And so that desire, that longing to make their name great leads them to build a tower. When they build a tower and God sees that, God then destroys it and confuses their language and sends them, disperses them throughout the earth. Which brings us to Genesis chapter 12. See, Genesis 3 through 11 is really bad news after bad news after bad news. The theme of those nine chapters is the sinfulness of man, how man continues to grow in in wickedness. And were it not for God's intervening mercy to Noah, mankind would have been lost. In fact, in those chapters, we read, and if you just take note, the word curse is found five times in those chapters. Speaking of God's punishment, his, his curse towards the sins of man. It's nine chapters of bad news. But in the midst of that, God does show mercy. God does show mercy. God does not give them what they deserve. He is a merciful God to them. Genesis 12, our passage this morning, verses 1 to 3, is therefore a pivotal passage. Because in this passage, what we're going to see is that that God goes beyond just showing mercy. He had shown mercy previously, right? But he goes beyond mercy in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and he shows grace. And what we see is that in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the narrative is flipped. It's a pivotal moment in which the the, the storyline of Scripture changes significantly for us. As I said, in in Genesis 3 through 11, the word curse is mentioned five times. But if you'll notice when we read Genesis 12, 1 to 3, a new word appears. It's the word bless, and it's used five times in these three verses. So here, what we see and where the, the narrative gets flipped is that God does not only relent from punishing man as he should, but he goes far beyond this, and he graciously pours out his blessing upon man. We see here God's grace, that he gives man what he does not deserve. So our passage this morning is the first glimpse of restoration. Genesis 3.15 gave us a, a glimpse of hope. You might say it sounded the bell of hope. When all seemed to be lost, the, the bell of hope rang. Genesis 12.3 will sound the bell of joy. And that joy would be to the nations. Let's read the word of God this morning. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What I want us to see first is, I want us just to track through these three verses and and take note of God's unmerited grace and Abram's obedient faith. Two things we see here, God's unmerited grace and Abram's obedient faith. 
We read there in verse 1 that the Lord said to Abram, there's no indication of righteousness on Abram's part. He, he was not called because of what he had done. He was not called because of who he was. If you, if you, you don't have to flip there, but you jot down Joshua 24, the beginning of Joshua 24, verses 3 and 4, Joshua makes note that Abram and his family were, were worshiping false gods. They were not worshiping the one true God. So it wasn't certainly anything that, that Abram was a God-fearer. He was a, a man of God at this point. He wasn't pursuing the Lord. He wasn't living for Him. But in the midst of that, God graciously calls Abram out of his life. He calls him out. He says to go, to leave his country, to leave his people, to leave his family, to go away from all he knew, to certainly depart from the false gods that he worshipped. And so God graciously calls out Abram. And then we see his blessing spoken to Abram. Three times in verses 2 to 3, we see God say, I will. I will. God is going to work. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. God is going to work in Abram's life. Why is he doing it? Why is he committing to work in Abram's life? Well, the end says, so that you will be a blessing. God is going to use Abram, again, not because of what Abram's done, not because who Abram is, but because God is graciously calling him out to use him for his purposes. It is through Abraham that he will bless the nations of the earth. And that's what he ends that passage with. In verse 3, he says that, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This blessing of the Lord would have a ripple effect to all peoples. Now, you know, Abram at this point has to be thinking, how in the world is this going to happen? How in the world? Abraham was 75 years old at this time. 75. And God says, in you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. How does Abraham respond? We read in verse 4, if you go one more verse forward there. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Abraham responds, or Abram at this point, responds with obedient faith. He heard, heard God's call, and he answered God's call. He obeyed God's call. It's for this reason that when you get down to Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, that the, the author of Hebrews says that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. It was faith. Demonstrated in Abram's life. In, in Hebrews eleven thirteen, we read this. That it was talking about Abraham, talks about Isaac and Jacob, and this statement's made describing these saints of old, these men of faith. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The writer of Hebrews is, is just demonstrating and showing the great faith of Abram that there was a faith that looked forward to the call of God, looked forward trusting God to do what he would call him to do and say that he would do. It's a, I think it's a, a side note that's worthy of us stepping into for a moment, that Abram's faith was forward-looking. Abram's faith led him to look beyond his own life and what was 
just for him, to his benefit, and to look to the blessing of future generations. You see, through Abram's life, the the joy of nations would come. But it would not come apart from the obedience and the trials and the faith of Abraham. Abram, if you just think about his life, those of you who have, who have read Genesis 12 on into, I think it's what, 23, 24, 25, if you've read the, the narrative of Genesis, you understand that Abram went through many difficulties, went through many trials in life, and he continued to live in faith, and, and there were moments where he messed up, there were moments where he disobeyed. But it was through Abram that God would bless the nations. And what we need to realize and remember at this point, it is our task to simply be faithful to do what God has called us to do today. It's our task to simply be faithful to be who God calls us to be. And God will carry out His plan. We simply trust Him to do what He said He's going to do, to trust Him to carry out His plan for tomorrow. You and I may never see, we may never see what God has promised fulfilled in our lifetime. Do you realize that? Like, I may never see all that God does through my life in my lifetime. You may never see that. But we don't live just for our own lives. That's one of the great lies of our day is that you live totally focused on everything about you. It's all about what blessing I'm wanting to get and experiencing God's blessing in my life. But what if God is going to use your life similar to Abram's? where God calls you to be faithful and God calls you to walk in obedience to Him for the sake of coming generations that would come after you and be impacted by your life, live faithfully for the Lord. We are simply to live faithfully to Him, to live as perhaps providential stepping stones in God's greater story. That's what Abram did. We should do the same. The second thing, that we want to consider this morning is God's promise of blessing to the nations. That's what we want to look at. We're in this series in Advent thinking about God being a promise-keeping God, that every promise kept or made by God is a promise kept by God. It's a declaration of His faithfulness. And so I want us just to kind of trace right through Scripture. I, I'm going to post these. I, I'll post these passages later on our, on our members page. So if you don't get all these, it's okay. But I want us just to walk through Scripture and show you how God keeps this promise, okay? Because what you see is, is, is so many times we approach the Bible and it's just random books and, and we don't see and understand that the Bible is a narrative. It is a storyline of God's redemption and work in the history of mankind. And so when we look at Scripture, it's kind of like, if you, if you've been, you guys have been to the eye doctor, right? And you go in and, and you can't see that great, or they dilate your eyes and it's all fuzzy and you sit down in the chair and they, they put that thing in front of you where you look like the old um, the, the robot off of um, oh, Short Circuit or whatever. You might remember Short Circuit. A few of you. Everybody else. <laughs> they put this thing in front of you and you can't see anything. It's all blurry, but you can see a light, and you can see the, the faint markings of maybe some, some letters there in front of you, and you're kind of straining and looking, and, and then the, the doctor clicks one, and it gets a little clearer. How's that? Uh, a little better. Click. A little better. Click. Oh, I, I can start to read it. Click. Oh, it's getting clearer. Click, 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 and it gets more and more and more clear until eventually they click, and you can see very clearly the letters, and you can read the letters in front of you. That's 
similar to how the narrative of Scripture is. You come in, in Genesis 3.15, we read this passage, Satan's head will one day be crushed. But how? How? What's, what's this going to look like? When? By whom? And we looked at the narrative of Scripture and saw that last week. Genesis 12, 1 and 3, the Scriptures continue to walk through this narrative and we read that, that not only in Genesis 3.15 is, is one going to come that will crush the head of Satan, but God is going to bless all the families of the earth through this man Abram. And so it starts getting a little clearer. How is God going to do that? Well, it's going to go through the lineage of Abram. And as you continue to walk through the narrative of Scripture, you see it getting clearer and clearer and clearer how God's carrying out His plan. So we move from Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and, and you get down to Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, 1 to 6, God promises Abram a son. A son, remember? He promises Abram a son who will be his heir. This son who would be named Isaac when he's born. And his offspring, God tells him, will be what? As numerous as the stars in the sky. And so this is the point in, in Genesis 15 where Abram, it says, Abram believed God and it's counted to him as righteousness in Genesis 15, 6. And so that promise spoken that, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Well, how? I'm going to give you a son and his offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the skies. Genesis 17, 1 to 8, God then makes a covenant with Abram, changing his name from Abram to Abraham. Why? Because God says, you will be the father of many nations. He's continuing to reaffirm and to reinforce and to restate this covenant promise to him. In Genesis 18, if you remember the, the wickedness and, and, and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, well, just before God is about to destroy Sodom for their wickedness, we, we hear God ask and, and considering, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. God's continually coming back to this, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed in Abraham. Genesis 22, the passage that many of you know, even if you're, you're not a believer, you've probably heard this passage at some point where God tests Abraham with the, the, possible, the, the possible, the potential sacrifice of Isaac. In that moment, God intervenes and he provides a sacrifice for Isaac. He provides a substitute. And in that moment, he reminds Abraham of what? He reminds him of his covenant promise. He says, listen, I am going to bless all the nations, all the peoples of the earth through you, through your lineage, through your son Isaac. He reminds him and he will fulfill it. We get down to Genesis 28. And Isaac, his son, uh, Abram's dead. Isaac pronounces a blessing on Jacob, his son. Do you know what he speaks when he speaks that blessing? He reminds him that God has stated that he will fill his covenant promise and that he will bring about a blessing to all the nations through their lineage. Genesis 29, all the way down to 2 Chronicles. We have historical accounts of the multiplication of God's people, that they grow in number from a people of just 12 sons of Jacob to this multitude that is beyond number. It is a great nation, the nation of Israel. You get into the Psalms, and in Psalms you have this messianic psalm. It's a, it's a kingly psalm, Psalm 72. 
The whole psalm thinks about God's blessing the king, and it goes down to verse 17 where the blessing and the prayer of the psalm says, May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. They continue to trust the promise of God and look forward to God fulfilling his promise. In Isaiah 49, 6, Jesus, or God says that he will make you, talking about the nation of Israel, he says, I will make you as a light for the nations and my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's continuing to look to the nations. But we soon learn and we see that Israel continues to rebel. They continue to choose wickedness. They continue to continually go after the ways of the world. We, we saw it early on in the Old Testament. We will read it continuing through the, the Old Testament. That they rebel. So in Ezekiel 20 verse 9, we find out that instead of magnifying the name of the Lord to the nations, instead of being a testimony of God's great grace and holiness to the nations, that instead the nation of Israel profanes his name rather they bring glory to it among the nations. In Ezekiel 36, 22 to 28, God gives a message of hope. But I want you to listen why he has to give this message of hope. Just listen to this passage. It says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. So God says, I'm about to do something great. It's not for your sake, though. No. Let me tell you why. Is for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations in which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What a message of hope that God speaks into their life. Why did he speak it to them? Because they had failed miserably to do what they were to do. Rather than be a blessing to the nations, rather than glorify God's name to the nations, they profaned the name of the Lord to the nations. They were seeking to look like the nations. They were living like the nations rather than being a light to the nations. So what we see from that point on in the Old Testament is we see the prophets all the way through Malachi pronouncing judgment upon God's people for not living a holy life unto him for his glory, for the advancement of his glory among the nations. And so the Old Testament draws to a close. It draws to a close with Israel's failure to carry out being a blessing to the nations. And what we have is 400 years of silence, a, a pregnant pause in the redemption plan of God. 
No prophets. No word from God. Just silence. Silence. Israel's failure resonating. What would God do? What would God do? We turn to Matthew 1.1. And we hear the good news. That Jesus is the people-blessing Messiah. He is the one from the line of Abraham that would bless the nations. So Matthew 1.1, how does the New Testament begin? It begins with a genealogy. It begins by saying the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And the genealogy traces Christ's lineage all the way back to Abraham. We read in Luke 2, that's been read twice already this morning, the pronouncement of the angels. What do they do? What do they proclaim? They come and say, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, for today a Savior has, born, has been born. It is to all the nations, all the nations. Great news of great joy from the Lord. In Acts, when, when Peter stands up in Acts 3, verses 24 to 26 is the focal, but if you read his sermon in Acts 3, Peter stands up and he explains that Jesus is the servant of the Lord raised up to fulfill the covenant that God made with Abraham. Peter says, he's the one. He's the one. When God spoke that word and said that he would bless the nations through Abraham's seed, Jesus is the one. So he says, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the one who fulfills that, Peter says. And then later, in Acts 7, Stephen, the first martyr recorded in history, when Stephen stands up to bear testimony, he stands up and you know what he does? He bears testimony of what? Of the storyline of Scripture starting in Abraham, tracing down to who? Jesus, the people-blessing Messiah. And he walks all the way from Abraham to show the people who are there ready to kill him that Jesus is the fulfillment of that great promise. So Stephen dies at the hands of man. We come into Romans. And in Romans, Paul is working out this argument, this testimony that it is by faith alone that we're justified before God. We are saved through faith. And when he comes to this argument, his exhibit A, his great example, his primary witness is who? Abraham. Romans chapter 4, it's Abraham. Listen to Romans 4.13. He says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, and it did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham, the great testimony, the great example, exhibit of faith, according to the Apostle Paul. Abraham, you remember Genesis 15, 6. You remember what it said. Abraham believed and it was credited to him. It was accounted to him as righteousness. Again, Abraham is not counted righteous for what he did, but because he believed. And Paul is driving this home. 
He's driving home, and it brings us to Galatians 3. If you want to turn to Galatians 3, it would be worth a moment turning to Galatians 3. Paul does the same thing in Galatians 3. He points back to salvation being by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. Paul's point in Galatians and calling them, calling the people of Galatia to stay and to maintain and hold fast the biblical gospel, his point and what he drives home is that Jesus is the, the, uh, the promise keeping, the people blessing Messiah. He's the one. He's the one that fulfilled this promise. And so Galatians 3, the whole chapter is about Abraham. The whole chapter is about how Jesus is the one who fulfills this promise. It is through faith in Christ that that promise is kept. I want you just to hear verses 7 and 9. Daniel read it earlier. He wants to hear it again in, in context what, we're looking at, what we've been looking at, the whole of Scripture. Verse 7 says, know then. Paul says, know then. Why does he want, why is it important? Why does he say know this? Well, because they had been bewitched. They had followed after a false gospel. In chapter 2, verse 16, he has said, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you're justified. And then he asks, he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who's taking you after this false gospel? Why are you running after something that the word does not say is the gospel? Why would you be taking something else on? And so when we come to verse 7, he says, Know then, know this, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, the conclusion, what do we Need to know, Paul says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Jesus is the people blessing Messiah. And it is through faith, verse 7, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You know the song, right? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Right? You guys know this? I'm not singing anymore. But I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right? Well, why are we sons and daughters? Why can we say, Father Abraham had many sons? I'm one of them, and so are you. I don't know that any of us in here could actually trace our bloodline back to him. We're sons and daughters through faith in Christ. That's what makes us sons and daughters. So what we see as we go through Genesis 12 all the way down through the New Testament into Galatians is that we are sons and daughters based on God's covenant promise to bless all the peoples of the earth, the nations, through Abram. And we're sons and daughters through faith in Jesus as Lord. So it was justified by faith alone. That faith rests on God's covenant promise. It's God's covenant promise that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. We are children, we are sons and daughters of Abraham through faith. Through faith alone. 
Now, verse 8 is an interesting statement, isn't it? Isn't that an interesting statement, verse 8, that the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Now, what statement? Where? Where was the gospel preached? How was the gospel preached? Well, he quotes it. He quotes it. He says, he preached the gospel saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. That's Genesis 12, 3. In you all the nations should be blessed. It's a proclamation of good news. It's hope. Why? Why is it good news? Because if all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham, it meant that blessing, the blessing of God would come in another way than just through bloodlines. It's good news that we would be saved by faith. Abram, the man who believed and it was credited to him as righteous. Paul says in, in Romans 4 that that is an example and that promise is for all who believe, not just for Abram. That we trust Him and we are saved by faith in God. Listen, we can't slip at this point. We can't slip into this idea, though, that it is some generic faith. It's just, well, I'm faith as a virtue. No, this is a specific faith. Abram's faith was a forward-looking faith in God's promise, a faith that looked forward to what God would do in fulfilling His word and His promise. The faith that Paul speaks of is a very clear faith that is in Christ and in Christ alone. So listen, friends, if you're gathered here today and you're sitting here and you're saying, hey, I'm a man of faith, but it's just like this faith is a virtue, this kind of generic faith that's not anchored in Christ, then it is not a faith that saves. Faith is only as good as what it is in or who it is in. Is faith alone in Christ alone. But the great promise of Scripture is that all who believe in Him will be saved. Why is John 3.16 so popular? Because it is good news. For God so loved who? The Jews? The world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is good news that we are saved by faith. And that's Paul's conclusion in Galatians 3.9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, God's promise that it was made was what? All the nations of the earth be blessed through you. God's promise was kept in that Jesus is the people-blessing Messiah. It is through faith in Christ that we are saved. What difference does this make? Let me leave you with four things this morning. Four things, four reasons this makes a difference in our lives. Four reasons this is important for us today to consider. The first thing is this. This is the foundation of our salvation. It's the foundation of our salvation. We are not saved through obedience to 
the law. We're just like Abram. It's not that God looks upon us and goes, wow, look how good he is. Look how obedient she is. Look how smart he is. Look how skillful she is. Look how talented they are. I'm going to save them. Now, God looks upon us and says, look how sinful and wicked they are. Look how absolutely needy and hopeless they are. Look how lost and blind and imprisoned they are. Look how dead they are. Just like in Abraham's life, God takes the initiative, God intervenes, God calls. And we respond. We respond in obedient faith. Our salvation is not based on us obeying something. It's not based on us achieving something. It's based on faith in Christ alone. We trust Him. It is not through your family heritage. That's important, young people. If you're here and you're counting on you being saved because mom and dad are Christians, you're counting on the wrong thing. If you're counting on being saved because you come to Sunday school or you go to youth camp or you went to D now or whatever it is, you're counting on the wrong thing. We're saved by God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone. It's the foundation of our salvation. And we learn that through the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Christ. The second reason this is important is that this is our root of confidence in missions. It's a root of confidence for missions. We go not in vain. When we think about going to the world, we think about sharing the gospel, we do not go in vain. We remember that God has promised that he would bless the nations through Abram's seed, which is Christ. He's promised that. And so we, we trust it. He even points out, we didn't, we didn't get here, but... But Paul points out in Galatians 3, uh, verse 16, he says, The promise is made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. It's Christ. And so the confidence we have when we do missions is that we go knowing that God has promised to bless the nations, and he blesses the nations through Christ. So the great blessing that we take is not seeking to free and alleviate the pain of poverty. It's not free, seeking to just free them from the oppression of dictators. Those things are good. It's great to provide clean water. It's great to try to alleviate poverty. It's great to, to seek uh, freedom and, and release from dictators. All those things are good and worthy causes. But the blessing to the nations is Jesus Christ, the gospel. That's the blessing of the nations. It's why the psalmist in Psalm 67 said, Bless us, O Lord. Why? That we might be a blessing and the nations of the earth might rejoice in his salvation. The blessing of the nations is Christ. It's the root of confidence for missions. The third reason, this is important, is that not only is it, is it our root of confidence for missions, it's also our hope for lost family and friends. That's our hope. It's in Christ. We all have loved ones living in darkness. We all have loved ones that are living in rebellion without hope, without any understanding of God's mercy. They may have some 
perceptions of religion, of Christianity, of the Bible, of the gospel, all those things, but they don't live with the hope of the gospel, the hope that is in Christ, the joy that is in him. But this is our hope for them. It's not found in, hey, clean up. It's not found in stop this, start that. Our hope for them is in Christ, that they would look to Jesus Christ in faith. That is the hope that we have in Christ. And finally, the reason this is important is this. This is the source of joy in a soul-troubling world. This is our source of joy in a soul-troubling world. Our, our days are they're filled with sorrow. They're filled with worries and concerns, struggles. They're filled with brokenness. They're filled with disappointments, with pain, loneliness, all of that. Where is joy found? Is it even possible? Christ is the joy of nations. Our joy comes not from some surface level feelings of life of ease and happy days of no turmoil, no trouble, no brokenness. And our joy comes in Christ that we are victors in the strife. Our joy comes in knowing that our salvation is secure in Him, that in the midst of the battle that He is with us and He strengthens us. Our joy comes in the forgiveness that is Christ through His blood, the finished work of Christ on the cross. It comes in knowing that Christ is our hope in life and death. The world offers vain, fleeting hope. Christ offers authentic hope and joy in the midst of all life sends at us. Our joy is in knowing that our sin has been paid for by the blood of Christ. Our joy is in knowing that our salvation is not in how good I am, how much I know, what I achieve, what my heritage is, where I live, how much money I have, but that my salvation comes from Jesus Christ and trusting Him and His finished work on the cross. It's important because Christ is the source of joy. So I just want to drive home this Advent season, the faithfulness of God. That every promise made by him is kept by him. The promise that he would bless the nations was kept by him in sending Jesus, the people-blessing Messiah. And for that reason, for that reason, we open the word of God and we read in Revelation 7, 9 to 10, this God who in Genesis 12 said, I will bless the nations through you. We go to the end of the book, the conclusion, and we read, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The end is written. 
It's written. People from every nation be blessed in the salvation of the Lord. Jesus is the people blessing Messiah. And for this reason, for this reason, I invite you to stand and I invite you to sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let's pray.